Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City Church. That was all right. I saw it was a foggy morning this morning, beautiful. It feels a little warm in here. I hope that you're awake and ready to go, vibrant, ready to learn something from Psalm 61. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, we are so glad you are here gathering with us. We're in the middle of a series called Summer in the Psalms, and it is a privilege to be preaching Psalm 61 this morning. And my prayer is the same as last week, is that all of us this morning, and this includes the third through fifth graders who are sitting in with us this morning. I'm so glad you are. I hope that you take awesome notes. I'll try to say things slowly so that you can engage the sermon. We're glad that you're sitting in here, but my prayer for all of us is that God connects this sermon to your heart, and he can do this. It's supernatural. Let's pray and ask God for help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you specifically for Psalm 61. We need you this morning, Father. We feel it as we gather around your word. Please help us as we help us to rightly interpret and rightly apply your word. And we fully expect and anticipate that you will speak once again through your word just like you did when you spoke these words to the psalmist. Speak once again to us, Lord. That is our prayer we thank you for your spirit inside of us that helps us to hear a promise as a promise. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So thus far in our series, we've established that the Psalms are unique when you consider the biblical corpus because they can show us how we can actually talk to God. In other words, you could think about it this way. Where would we be if we didn't have the Psalms included in our Bible? That's what I like to think about um, uh, when I teach classes on particular books of the Bible. One way to frame the question at the beginning of the class is, let's just say we took, um, for instance, the Gospels out of our Bible. Where would we be? What would we be missing? I'm asking this morning, where would we be if we didn't have the Psalms? I would suggest that we would not know how we can communicate real frustration, how to communicate real pain, how to be honest with God in conversation. As Dr. Royce Moore established at the beginning, how to take horizontal problems vertically to God. In this way, the Psalms touch our emotions. And today we're going to see in Psalm 61 the emotion of the psalmist who is overwhelmed because of this feeling of being alienated or adrift from the presence of God. So this morning our goal is to uncover the meaning of this psalm. It's short. I hope that you'll have it in front of you. If not, I believe you'll see the verses represented on the screen as we progress linearly through this psalm. It's only eight verses um, and we're going to be asking the question this morning, what is David doing in Psalm 61? And for this particular psalm, we have no reason to doubt that, that this is not David who is writing this. And, and we'll see this. This will become important down in verse 6 uh, in this psalm. And along the way then, 
we want to highlight how Psalm 61 is significant in our lives here at Hill City Church. If you're a note taker, here's the message big idea this morning. I believe that when you consider this psalm and you look at it holistically, all the parts, all the moving parts, like a puzzle piece, I believe this is the main theme that will emerge out of Psalm 61. Here it is. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let me say that again. This is the message big idea. If you, for, if you don't take anything this morning away from this psalm, take this. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I want to attack this psalm in four steps. Let me give you those and then we'll go through them. Number one, let's look at a specific prayer for the overwhelmed heart in verses one and two. And when I say overwhelmed heart here, immediately I'm thinking of those moments. Uh, they might call it a dark night of the soul. I've heard it called that, a dark night of the soul. Think of this emotion of being overwhelmed, despair, without strength, maybe a mental weariness. I can't go on, God. I want to talk about a specific prayer for that overwhelmed heart. Number two, let's see how past experiences can inform the present longings for this overwhelmed heart. So we're going to notice where the psalmist goes when he's in the midst of feeling weary and overwhelmed. I think this is beautiful. I think this can tell us something at Hill City uh, this morning. I think we can walk away with some strategy for the overwhelmed heart. Number three, let's look at the prayer of an individual. It's going to be David in this psalm. But for us at Hill City, let's look at the prayer of an individual who is keenly aware of the biblical story. Yes, there are 66 books, but there's an organic unity to these 66 books. We know that as redemptive history. Some people talk about that as the meta-narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It tells one big story of redemption. And let's look at how the prayer of an individual who is key, let's look at this prayer who is keenly aware of this biblical storyline. In other words, he's got a dog in the fight. Yes, he's writing under, under the inspiration of God, but he's also a theologian just like you. I think sometimes when we consider the Bible written over uh, for, I don't, 2,000 years, 40 human authors, sometimes we forget that the human authors are real humans. Sometimes we think there's like a little angel dictating the words to them, and, and, and that's, we need a whole other sermon on models of inspiration. But the point I want to leave you this morning is this biblical author is keenly aware of the storyline of Scripture. He's a theologian, and so are we. You say, I'm not a theologian. I would submit to you we all are, in a sense. You may not be aware of it. And then finally, let's look at the response of the psalm in verse 8. So number one, let's look at the specific prayer for an overwhelmed heart in Psalm 61, 1 and 2. The psalm begins with a petition from David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer or pay attention to my prayer. Notice the parallelism here in the first two lines of the psalm. Parallelism is unique to poetry. And, and, and last week during the 1045 service, 
Maybe I felt a little freer, a little more relaxed, where I actually started reciting a poem I had written in sixth grade about a, about a steer that I'd raised in Whalen Valley. And uh, they, I got a lot of comments about that little poem. They wanted to hear more of it. But the point is this, there's parallelism. I remember my English teacher wanting me to write poetry and make the last two words rhyme, or lines two and four, or I even remember right now writing a limerick, something, uh, or a sonnet, where there's 14 lines, these kind of things. But look at this parallelism. This is beautiful. The second line of this verse actually unpacks the first line and tells us that this cry, and this is a cry, oh God. The second line actually unpacks the first line and tells us that the speaker is making a petition to God. This is, this is prayer. This is a petition of lament. Now, you may or may not have heard of this word lament. We don't use it that much in everyday conversation, but in the history of interpretation, this psalm has been labeled as a psalm of lament because of this loud cry right here in the first line. This cry is an excited plea for God's help. This may even be wailing. My wife told me she came home from Aldi. This must have been last week. And somebody over in aisle four was singing a Christian song so that the whole store could hear it. It was a wailing. (laughs) Uh, This is a loud shrill. Hear my cry, O God. This is, you know, this is different than your typical opening, opening line of a prayer where it's like, dear Heavenly Father. Well, this is, oh, God. Now, can we talk to God this way? Yes. Yes. The Psalms give us permission to talk to God this way. The Psalms teach us how to talk to God. Uh, serving up in kids up in Hill City, one of our core values that we teach kids is that God wants to talk to, with us. And I love that core value. This is about a relationship with God. Oh, how we want our kids to know that God wants to talk with us. He wants to have everyday conversation with us. And the Psalms invite us to employ this kind of language with God. God does not want us to stuff away our emotions all the time. Last week, we established that we were made to be in fellowship with God. This is a personal relationship, and part of this relationship with God is prayer, and this is a prayer of lament. But look now, notice, what this, notice the reason for the psalmist's cry in verse 1 is now explained in verse 2. Look at this. From the end of the earth, or, or think from the most, I was going to say from the remotest, I don't know if that's proper grammar, from the most remote place on earth, I call out to you in despair, or when I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We're going to see this as a prayer for protection. Notice here the psalm was facing adversity. We don't know the details of the adversity, they're not spelled out, but there was this real experience of being at such a great distance from the presence of the Lord. And then, of course, the subsequent emotion of being overwhelmed with this perceived gap. There is despair. There is a heart that is faint. This raises this question, then. Where is God? 
This is a question about the precise location of the presence of God or the accessibility of God. Now, we know that the presence of God is a major theme in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm thinking of Moses' words in Exodus 33 where where the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I'm thinking in the New Testament of the presence of the Lord when the disciples are devastated in the upper room, when Jesus announces his farewell and they say, can we come? We don't want to leave your presence So as the narrative develops in the Bible, we get this concept of, this is particularly in the Old Testament, this concept of sacred space. Yes, the presence of the Lord would ultimately be centralized at Solomon's temple, but before that there was this mobile tent, we call it the tent of meeting, that Israel would set up as they progressed closer and closer to their promised land. And it was at the tent of meeting where God would speak with Moses and all the people would rise up and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And we know that for God's covenant people, Jerusalem then would become known as the center of the world. Thinking here of John chapter 4. Because this is where the temple was located. And this is where a Jewish pilgrimage would end up in worship in order to worship God and fulfill the established covenant obligations. So we could rightly ask here in Psalm 61 too, is the psalmist David in some sort of exile away from the presence of God? Now, if we go back to First and Second Samuel, we can see when David enters into the narrative and we can begin to ask questions like, is David ever away from the tabernacle, away from the tent? Especially if this psalm was written during the time of the monarchy, and David was on the throne. This is, this is, the, this is the monarchy of Israel. We, we know for sure that there were times during his reign when David faced adversity. And so the answer is going to be yes. I mean, even prior to his, becoming on, to his being on the throne, we know, I'm thinking of that evil spirit that came upon Saul. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall two times with a spear in 1 Samuel 18. And once even on the throne, there was this relentless pursuit of David by the enemies of Israel. And sometimes even pursuit of David from those within the covenant community where David would be forced to exile away from the tent, the tabernacle, from Jerusalem. But regardless of where the psalmist is, at this, is, is located at this point, and regardless of whether this language of from the end of the earth or from the most remote place Regardless, this psalmist feels alienated from God. And this alienation is leading to this feeling of despair. I like how one interpreter has noted how David's physical circumstances became spiritual descriptions of his life. And then by extension, our life as well. Maybe this morning you're, you, you're, not, you're, you're, you're in a place... It's hard. Maybe this emotion of being overwhelmed is due to your circumstances in life. Perhaps you're going through a season of feeling distant from the Lord and you're currently experiencing the loneliness of the mind. 
Let me say that you're experiencing loneliness of the mind, where your mind has actually created an alternate reality. Hang on and watch what the psalmist does here with this feeling of despair. Look at this in verse 2, the last line. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This again is the message big idea. When my heart is overwhelmed, look at where the psalmist goes. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So what is this rock? I would submit that this is a metaphor for God's divine protection. The psalmist wants to be guided back to God's sovereign protection. In other words, I need safety. This, this prayer expresses faith in the, in the Lord's exalted position, in his ability to deliver. One scholar has noted that, that the Lord God is exalted over the affairs of humans, and so his protection is out of reach of the enemies. If David is guided back to God's presence, he will be in a safe place indeed. There is an advantage up there. Lead me to the rock, this comparison that is higher than I. There's an advantage. Why? Because you're there. As an athlete, you know, you're always looking for an edge. Remember this well, playing soccer. You're always looking for that little edge, that little advantage that can separate you from the competition. You know, they say that championships are won in the offseason, and I believe it. But for David... His advantage was gained through this specific prayer because the prayer, this prayer of lead me to the rock that is higher than I, this prayer suspended the distance, the perceived distance, even if it was just perceived. And this prayer brought him near to God so that the presence of God was experienced through the protection that God provided. I think there's room for us here at Hill City to stop and hit the pause button. Might this apply for us at Hill City? I would say yes. I mean, here we see God's ability to deliver. We have an advantage and we can experience victory over this perceived distance. I mean, I want you to think of now, think right now. When I say when my heart is overwhelmed. Again, last week I mentioned everybody's bringing their story into this text. Think right now of a personal situation that is currently causing you stress or anxiety. Perhaps a situation where you're desperate and in need. Have you ever felt like you were at the edge of the earth longing for the presence of God in the midst of adversity? And here's the key question. Where do you go when your heart is overwhelmed? When you're feeling overwhelmed, what is your way of handling this feeling? That's a personal question. I mean, if we each were in a room together and we asked, what, what's your coping mechanism? Do you lose your temper? Do you go numb and isolate yourself? Do you escape to an unhealthy coping mechanism? I mean, even with the third through fifth graders in the room, I would ask you the same question. What do you do when you're activated? Where do you go? How do you respond? You know, parents, we feel this because those of us with children, you know, our 
children breathe the air that's emanating from their, his or her parents. This is happening, whether you realize it or not. A culture is being formed in your house. And, and, and largely this culture is created. Your, your, your children are watching you. It's easy to, when everything's going great, right? But what are you like when you're overwhelmed? Do you just isolate? I would say when facing adversity, we have an opportunity. We can, we, when facing adversity, I, I used to carry around this, this I, I brought it, this, this, this card in the, in the jacket of my Bible. When facing adversity, see it as a chance to, and then there's just a list of things for me. At the top of the list is a hard one. You know what it is? I bet you'll never guess. When facing adversity, and think of adversity for the psalmist here, when he's feeling away from the presence of God and he's in despair. When facing adversity, see it as an opportunity to give thanks. You're thinking, wow, that is not my first inclination. (laughs) Thank you, God. (laughs) See it as a chance to guard your thoughts. See it as a chance to overcome evil with good. See it as a chance to conquer fear with faith. See it as a chance, we went into Colossians 3 a few months back. See it as a chance to let the peace of God rule in your heart. See it as a chance to experience victory. Wow, cry out to God and close this gap. Here is my prayer. Protect me, Lord. I need an advantage over my adversity, a place where you are, where you reside. Not my strength, Lord, but yours. This is a cry of dependence. When we are with God, we are out of reach of the enemy. He is our rock, our fortress, our strong tower and refuge. You know, at our, in our family, we often talk about having fighter verses. Typically, what this means is three-by-five cards. Well, you're going to think like I'm the highlighter king and the three-by-five card king. I am. I, I proudly wear that badge. Uh, I don't apologize for that, but these three-by-five cards is, is where you have a where I have a chance to write out fighter verses. These are fighter verses, and I think Psalm 61-2 should be on those cards. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And usually, if you're into strategy, don't try to learn these fighter verses when you're activated or overwhelmed. Learn them when you're in that calm, when you're with, alone with God. Like they say, championships are won in the off-season, right? The, the analogy, I think, lives true here. You know, oftentimes you go to the airport, everyone's just scroll, scroll, scroll. I'd say scroll, scroll through your fighter verses. Just on a Rolodex. Put three, hole punch them and put them in a little mini folder. Just go. Just building in, building into the mind, the arena of the mind where the battle is faced. Fighter verses. Kids, this is... One of the best disciplines you can do is to have these fighter verses ready. And it's, you don't do this when you're my age at 44. You do this at a young age and you build. You build in 
Sometimes it's great. My kids will encourage me when I'm having a hard day. This is beautiful when your kids can come to you with their fighter verse and say, Dad, I think you need this fighter verse today. Like, yes, man, yes, thank you. We got to keep moving. Look at this. Look at this in verses in verse three. We're going to see past experiences now can inform the present longings for an overwhelmed heart. Look at this. For you have been my refuge. Some translations keep this as "For you are my refuge, a strong tower that protects me against the enemy." Notice the psalmist moves from his prayer of protection to a recollection of past experiences with God. It is good to say things to say true things about God when we're in distress. That's how you fight. Say true things about God when you're in distress. Last week it was, you are my hiding place. You protect me from distress. You surround me with shouts of joy from those celebrating deliverance. That's just my fighter verses from last week and that just called off the top. I love that mechanism. Notice here the psalmist moves from a prayer of protection to a recollection of past experiences with God. Now, we're going to see, look, look at this, we're going to see that this recollection of God's work in the past will provide the basis for the speaker's present longings and hope. And, and our interpretation here turns on this conjunction, for, look, for provides the basis or reason underneath, for you have been my refuge. Look at these metaphors. Refuge, a strong tower. Not just a tower, a strong tower. Insurmountable strength. You know, towers were used for military purposes and they provided surveillance points for Israel. I'm, you know, at the farm in Wayland Valley where I was leading my steer, I remember the big harvester blue silos. We, uh, our farm had this corporation where they were a dealer for these harvester silos. You don't see them much anymore because farmers got smart and decided they could put their, their feed for their cattle into the ground in a pit. No longer do we need these big silos. But these silos were awesome. I used to climb them 120 feet up as a kid. And you'd get up there and you could see all of Wayland Valley, 1,500 acres. What a beautiful point. This is the imagery here. You are a strong tower. Notice the detail of the enemy, though, here in verse 3. They're, notice their spiritual forces trying to kill David, of course, because David's the king. David is the king in the biblical storyline. There are spiritual forces that are, that, are, that are your enemy. These enemies hate God. They hate the truth. This is Satan and his emissaries. They want you to function independent from God. You know, if there's an individual here in the theater this morning who does not know God, I would say to you, you're no threat to the enemy or the kingdom of darkness. In other words, you're, you're on the wrong side. I want, we, we are praying for you right now. Hill City Covenant members are praying for you right now that you would enter into this personal relationship with God today and claim this psalm as your own. When you realize there's an enemy that's after you, how does it make you feel? For me, it wakes me up. It wakes me up. It perks me up. It makes me more aware. It makes me want to be on the offense, not on the defense. Not reacting, not being behind the eight ball. I'm thinking of these, these times, 
you know, where we need to remember who God is in those moments. I hope you keep a journal of who God has been so that you're calling to remembrance the character of God and feeling your dependence upon God, especially in light of these enemies, these spiritual enemies. Notice the connection now between verses three and four. The connection's gonna be the presence of God. Look at this. I think, look, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I think the meaning here is best captured by this request. Let me be a permanent guest in your house. (laughs) The psalmist knows he does not belong at this tent. We know this because of this word that's translated sojourn or dwell. This word would activate a context of of dwelling as an alien or or, or dependent. This is the relationship of a guest to a host. And the psalmist is essentially requesting, don't let me leave your presence. It's like when I was on my honeymoon in Jackson, Wyoming, and in in October, this is 15 years ago, we're staying at this lodge resort at the foot of the Teton Mountains, and, 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 you know, when the week is over at the front desk, they ask me about my stay, you know, and I ask them, um, can I stay here forever? (laughs) I don't want to leave. Being here with you, God, brings protection and safety. This last line of verse 4 is the rich imagery of the mother bird protecting her young. This, this word tent, you know, let, let me be a permanent guest in your home or this tent. This, is, this, this, this would activate the shared knowledge of, this, of the presence of God. This ancient tabernacle where God's presence was localized at that point in time when this psalm was written. Now notice... Notice the psalmist continues in verse 5 with another expression of confidence. For you, O God, it's the same conjunction. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So how God has acted in the past is continued in this line. David is saying, you have heard me before and you have kept, me, you have kept your side of the contract. You've given me the covenant benefits. That's this word heritage. The covenant benefits, including the land. This is the, the benefits that you promised when the relationship was established. You have granted me the reward that belongs to your loyal followers. We, we, we must keep moving. Look at this. The psalmist moves now from his confidence to who God has been back to another petition now in, verse, in verses 6 and 7. Where, this is where I want to raise the point that this is the prayer of an individual who is keenly aware of the biblical storyline. Look at this. Prolong the life of the king. Now, on this question of a prolonged life, verse 6 is not a selfish request on the part of David, you know, where he's asking for more years. It's actually quite the opposite of a selfish request. David writes about the king. And this is where we know the psalmist is well aware of the biblical storyline. You heard me say he's got a dog in the fight. In other words, the psalmist of David is writing under the inspiration of God. He's well aware of salvation history. And here we see him asking God to fulfill his part of the covenant with Israel. Look at this in in, in verse 6 again. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations 
May he be enthroned forever, or may he reign forever before God. This is the Davidic king, the Messiah. We know that David ruled from approximately 1004 B.C. to 965, but we also know that a son of David will sit forever on the Davidic throne, thus fulfilling the covenant made to David in 2 Samuel 7. To be sure, David is writing 1,000 years before Jesus' time. And the psalmist no doubt has in mind this messianic dynasty. And this is right where we can see Jesus in this text. Look at this. Now, of course, it's still a foreshadowing here. Because at this point in salvation history, the final fulfillment is still in seed form at this particular time. This is, this is what I love about Scripture. This, you heard me say this organic unity to the text. It's there. It's right here. It's in seed form. You know, in other words, if this was Genesis and this was Revelation, there's an arrow, there's a trajectory pointing this way. In order to appreciate verse 6 and 7, you have to have this shared knowledge of the Davidic covenant and this appreciation for this redemptive history. Because when we pick up and read our New Testaments, and I would say right at the beginning in Matthew 1.1, we read this. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now prolong the life of the king lives. Here we see God's answer to the psalmist's request in verse 6 and 7, particularly concerning his years enduring to all generations. Yes, of course, this psalm was effective for the original audience, and it lived during that time. It had life in that world, time and place. But it also continues to speak to us because we at Hill, here at Hill City are a part of all those generations. Look at that. May his years endure to all generations. This is where the text provides us as new covenant believers at Hill City a point of departure to get to Jesus. I'm thinking of Luke 24, 44 and following when Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Let's look down at, at, at this last line in verse 7. Notice the personification here. May, uh, may appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. This, this him, the referent there is the King Messiah. And steadfast love and faithfulness are two of the strongest nouns in the Old Testament to describe who God is. But this is personification. This is, you know, I like to call him Mr. Steadfast Love and Mr. Faithfulness. You have a specific task. You know, it's like at the dairy barn after the cows were milked. We'd rally around the desk in the office and all the hired hands would gather around. And we'd get the, the, the list from the boss. You guys are going here. You're going here. You're going here. One, two, three, break. It's kind of like, Mr. Danny, you're going there. Mr. Sammy, you're going there. Mr. Stanley, you're going there. These are my brothers. You know, think of this task, Mr. Steadfast Love, you're doing this. Mr. Faithfulness, you're doing this. You're going to watch over the king. And boy, howdy, did this ever come true. How faithful was Jesus? <laughs> How merciful was Jesus? This prayer was answered. And the evidence we have for this is the New Testament. God is the covenant 
keeping God. He keeps his promises. And loyal love and faithfulness are protectors. And finally, we see the confident response of the psalmist now in verse 8. Look at this. This resolved to praise. So will I ever sing praises to your name. Don't miss that so or then. This is the response. This is, I'd call this, you know what I think of? A result. A result. That's the word that popped into my mind. This is the result of this overwhelmed heart that goes and says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I and knows the reason I can pray with these longings is because of how you've been in the past. This is the cry of a psalmist who's aware of the biblical storyline. In other words, who is God? And look at his response. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I'm performing, as, as fulfilling my vows day after day. And I would suggest to you these vows are nothing less than songs of praise to God as a way of fulfilling his covenant The psalm closes with a note of confidence again, now expressed in a vow of praise for the anticipated deliverance. And these vows would be the offering, the praise that was vowed during the time of prayer. So here at Hill City, our response today, number one, I would pray that you would make Psalm 61-2 your fighter verse this morning. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When I feel alienated, adrift, when I feel far away from you, God, when I'm asking, where are you, God? Where does my mind go in that moment of activation where that feeling of overwhelming is just taken over? Lord, may our prayer be, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's an advantage up there. Why? Because you're there. You will protect me. And you're 10 for 10. 